Welcome back to the Joke Show here on the Dion Family Network. Episode 9, we're back. Sports are back. We had that short episode. I didn't really want it to be too long. I'm not here to distract from what's really going on in the world. But for now, let's talk about sports. Sports are back. I really didn't realize like, it's August August 31st right now. Football is back in couple weeks now got the Thursday night opener obviously when football season comes back it'll kind of just meld into where the NBA and NHL come in I had a few quick thoughts before uh go on a MLB trade deadline and then NBA and NHL playoffs so in the NFL I mean the real big story over the past couple days really has been the Jacksonville Jaguars which usually not in the news but it's not really for the right things. They trade uh, Yannick Ngakwe, which is, he's been wanting this. All he's a very talented pass rusher. He's been wanting this all off season. Takes a pay cut to go to the Vikings, who lost uh, not to Neil Hunter. They lost. Um, now I can't think of his name. They lost their one of their star edge rushers to Dallas, which great move. I don't know why I can't think of his name. It'll come back to me at some point. And then today. They cut Leonard Fournette because they couldn't find a trade partner, which, in my opinion, I find pretty hard to believe. Even Coach Doug Marone's coming out and saying that we tried for anything, but it just just didn't work out. Uh, they couldn't. He said something about like late round draft picks that they couldn't even get. And I mean, I don't know how true that really is, but. Fournette's still a talented running back. He's not really the exact running back you want. He's a little more of a bruiser than than most people. I don't want to say want him to be. Everson Griffin. I found it now. Everson Griffin, uh, former Viking, now Cowboy, and now Minnesota replaces him with Ngakwe. But yeah, the Jaguars are just a dysfunctional franchise, and they look like they're heading for the first overall pick. And... When I was looking at them and looking at over-unders and stuff, I'll probably do that within the next week or two, obviously before the season starts, but they just, I don't see them really winning more than four games and even losing Fournette and that trade. Three wins. Obviously, they could really surprise some people. I don't know how much Gardner Minshew is really going to lead that Jaguars team, but uh, we'll see. Other than that, uh, really just kind of sad news. Not sports sad, not real sad. Uh, Derwin James, very talented safety for the Chargers. Haven't really heard what it was yet. All all they've really said is he's expected to miss significant time with an injury, which not that I don't want to call him injury prone, but he's definitely had his problems over the last couple of years that he's been in. Well, really, since he's been in the league, he's kind of very talented, but can't really stay healthy, stay on the field. Because if he is, he is one of the best safeties in the league. I think he is anyways. But then even today, Anthony Lynn, coach of the Chargers, says they're not looking at Earl Thomas. Which, his credibility, Earl Thomas, has just kind of hit, taken a hit. He was one of the leaders on that Legion of Boom Seahawks defense. And then goes to Baltimore. He gets caught cut like not even traded just gets cut because of they said 
conduct detrimental to the team, which is always so vague. There was a fight, but they said there's more than that. And now teams kind of look like they're staying, like straying away from him. Ultimately, I think the Cowboys see him as too much of an asset. When he was in trade talks before, they were one of the number one teams everyone talks about. I think the Cowboys, not that they don't care about personality issues, but I think they trust their culture enough, especially now with a veteran coach and Mike McCarthy, even before with Jason Garrett. They trust their culture, and I can't blame them for that. Other than that, we got, uh, obviously, a lot of blowing smoke once it once we're in NFL training camp, especially in this weird year where we're not going to have preseason games. And we have training camp for uh, probably about two months, but still, you don't really know what to expect. You can't really... They have scrimmages, but that's not really enough to see for real what like what these teams are going to do come game time, come week one. And I mean, all the buzz. And honestly, it's good that it's just positive both ways. But Cam Newton with the Patriots, Tom Brady with the Bucks. It's I don't know if it's just smoke and mirrors. The Patriots still say it's a competition for that number one number one quarterback spot. I think Cam Newton versus Jarrett Stidham, Stidham, who was a talented, talented quarterback, five-star recruit, kind of bounced around in college, didn't obviously didn't play that much last year because of Brady, and just I don't think he's competition. And Brian Hoyer is just he's just kind of a holder piece, or a, not a, like a just a backup piece is really what he is. But apparently Bill Belichick likes Cam Newton, and I think it's terrifying because the Patriots have always had Brady, not a mobile quarterback. I think Belichick loves the idea of having a quarterback like this that can move around in the pocket. It's big, strong, physical, and it's funny that the reason the Patriots signed him was because last year the Patriot he was got hurt playing the Patriots and missed 14 games. And now they get this quarterback who, I mean, I... I don't think anyone would be surprised if they make the playoffs. The Patriots are in the playoffs, especially with this expanded format. It helps them. I think they're chasing. I think they're number two in that division, just looking at those teams stacked up right now. But every year we doubt the Patriots, and they always come back, and they always win. Even if it's just a playoff spot, it's still something. Other than that, again, training camp is kind of it's hard quarterback battles I think the most interesting one has to be with the Bears you got Mitch Trubisky who I think now will always be remembered as the guy the Bears traded up for which I feel like a lot of people don't remember this they didn't have to trade up the 49ers which is hilarious to think they were picking second we're going to pick Solomon Thomas out of Stanford no matter what and I think they might have even said that now but the Bears traded up, gave up extra picks, and got Trubisky. He's the third best quarterback. Mahomes picked twelfth. Deshaun Watson picked, or Mahomes ten. Watson I think was twelfth. Both trade ups as well, but I think we see who won that. And then Nick Foles. Trubisky versus Foles is fascinating because he got Foles as kind of always the almost like a career one B, but he should. He's not really good enough to maintain a starter spot, but also can take the starter's job, which I think is fully capable of. I think 
the only thing Trubisky really has on Foles is mobility and the option to run. But I don't really see it out of the question if you run a two-quarterback system. I don't think traditionally people will like it, but if you think they both work for you, then why not? Why not just run them both out there? You don't know where the ball is going. You could hand it off, throw it. It's a lot of options. Other than the Bears, I think, I mean, obviously, training camp, you can't really know what to expect, but I think the rookie, I think this rookie class was great going into it. But, I mean, the only guy I feel like I haven't really heard that much about has been Tua, Tua Tagovailoa, which, obviously, a mouthful to say. I haven't really, maybe it's, maybe they're just trying to keep stuff quiet so that I don't give up too much hype about how good he is. I think he's... A talented quarterback, but he also kind of he got injured, and I think that's definitely a concern moving forward, especially when Joe Burrow, who's supposed to be the savior of this Bengals franchise, I think he's a good quarterback. I think he's going to have some problems, at least in the first year or two in the NFL. I don't think it's going to be easy for him to just step right in, unlike Chase Young and CeeDee Lamb. Chase Young, actually both of them get put in great situations. CeeDee Lamb's on that defensive line that has five capable starters and almost like when the Eagles won the Super Super Bowl not every not every lineman had to play three downs they could kind of mix and match who was out there and I think that's going to be great for Young and the Washington football team it's funny to even say that that's their that's their name I'm glad they changed their name it's far too many years late but at least they did it and they'll find a new name i'm glad they kept their colors that's those jerseys although without a name it's a little weird but still great jerseys great color scheme but chase young looks like a he looked like an animal like a monster in college and now in the nfl he's gonna get bigger stronger faster which is terrifying to think about he's wrecking havoc on his own camp think about what he's gonna do to his opponents and C.D. Lamb was put in a great position. You're wide receiver two, wide receiver three with Amari Cooper and Dak and Ezekiel Elliott and Michael Gallup. I think I think that team is going to miss Jason Witten, although obviously not the same Jason Witten anymore. Aging veteran that's on the Raiders now, which is weird. He's what a three-year stretch of doing football, doing uh Monday night, I think he was doing Monday night football and then comes back to the Cowboys and now is on the Raiders. But I mean that Dallas offense is still gonna be potent. And I mean, not to tip away what I think about these teams, but I think Dallas, especially with although I didn't remember Everson Griffin's name before, I think they're in for I mean, I always want to say good season, but I think higher than most people's expectations. Yeah, that's about that's about all I got for NFL. I mean, again, checking over unders and seeing awards. Obviously, I'll write about it, talk about it, all that fun stuff. But for now, let's move on. Got the MLB trade deadline today, which was a doozy to say the least. Uh, I mean, I think first you got to talk about the two winners, which is the Blue Jays and the Padres. The Jays, who, which, to be honest, I wasn't really, I haven't been paying that much attention to baseball because we're in 
playoffs everywhere else. But the Blue Jays right now, the playoffs started today. I just want to one, two. Tampa Bay's first, 24 and 11. Oakland, 22 and 12. Cleveland, Chicago, both 21 and 13, which is makes it weirder that Cleveland made that trade. Uh, Yankees, which they've been struggling. Injuries, Aaron Judge and Stanton are both six foot seven pieces of glass and can't stay healthy. Astros, Minnesota's still in it. I don't want to talk about the Astros. Minnesota, 20 and 15. And then the Jays, 18 and 15. So they're right there in it. Uh, a game back of Houston to Minnesota, game and a half back of the Yankees, who they could easily catch the Jays, make a few, just like not over the top, but just smart moves. They get Ross Stripling from the Dodgers, they get Robbie Ray from Arizona, and they got uh, Tywan Walker from Seattle a couple uh, day or two ago. That's just that right there. Joining Yunjin Ryu, Ryu and Chase Anderson for the Jays. That's a that's a great rotation. And I mean. They're getting Bo, hopefully getting Bo Bichette back within the next couple weeks. I think the Jays, I mean, I think they at least deserve a playoff. At this point, they deserve a playoff spot, and they made the right moves to compete. And then obviously our other winner, San Diego, who had a great year. I talked about, I talked about Tatis a couple weeks ago. But now this just... This is the most exciting team in baseball that got really a yeah no an ace. I, I was gonna I was trying to debate like saying like a top ten pitcher. I think he's a certifiable ace. And now going into a playoff series for the Padres, you have Clevenger and you have Chris Paddock. That's a great move, and they traded for a few catchers, smaller pit, uh, smaller trades. Uh, I mean. The Padres, or yeah, the Padres did give up Cal Quantrill, Gabriel Arias, who I don't really know that much about, Josh Naylor, Austin Hedges, which isn't as big of a deal because they traded for Jason Castro and Austin Nola from the Angels and Mariners, respectively. But they're just loading. And then even as I'm looking through these trades again, Padres add Mitch Moreland. They add Trevor Rosenthal. They're really... They're obviously trying to be good this year, but for the future going forward, this is a this is a good team, a good offensive team that clearly is making smart moves to build around that core that they already have. So I mean the Padres, if we look right now, the Padres are third in the National League. Dodgers twenty six and ten, Cubs twenty and fourteen, Padres twenty one and fifteen. The Braves, 19-14. Then we have the Marlins, which I think they're in a, I mean, a great spot considering that they're the Marlins. They kind of half-sold. They sent Jonathan VR to the Jays. They also acquired Starling Marte from the Diamondbacks, which the Diamondbacks just, like, if you look at all these trades, they're just, they sold. They thought they were going to be better than they were. They're not. They're right now sitting right near the bottom with 14 that 14 and 21 Washington 12 and 19 and obviously the Pittsburgh Pirates 10 and 21 just oh, just a bad year but I mean Arizona they trade Archie Bradley to the Reds which great there's no baseball is like the hardest because they're just all smart moves the only really big move 
of this deadline was Clevenger, just because he's a big name. And it's not like the Indians aren't in it. The Indians, like I said before, they're 21-13. and 13. They're tied with the White Sox right now in a playoff spot. It had to have just been personality issues. Well, because there was a story that Clevenger and I think it was Zach Plezak. I don't want to get that wrong, but they both in Chicago went out to see friends, which irresponsible. I hope that move going from Cleveland to San Diego, not that you're going from big city to big city, but I hope that Clevenger's just smarter because he's a great pitcher. Uh, besides that, I mean, again, just not huge deals. Rockies get Kevin Pillar from the Red Sox. I always thought it would go back to the Jays, but I mean, they have their, they have their pieces. They're clearly, pitching was really their problem, and they address that in a big way. I'm more than impressed with the Jays, especially in this shortened season. Why not, why not just go for it? I'm surprised teams made there were as many moves as there were because I didn't think teams would really freak out and panic about a 60 game season you're not really playing that well but eh, Boston Boston sold they're 12 and 22 the only team that didn't sell and I completely commend them for this the Angels I think you have Mike Trout you have Anthony Rendon you have Shohei Otani who isn't pitching for the rest of the year I don't think I think bringing him as a dual threat was fun. It was a cool idea, but it just just doesn't work. But you still can't sell. They didn't trade Dylan Bundy, which one of their top starters definitely a concern. Every year they're in the run for one of those starters, and sure you have Mike Trout, but you have a history now of yeah, you have Mike Trout, but what what else do you have? Obviously, bringing in a piece like Rendon, a World Series champion, performer in the playoffs is huge, but you have to get there first. And besides that, I mean, the Dodgers, obviously, are just they're the Dodgers. They're going to. I knew, I assumed going into this, even the shortened season, it would be the Yankees and the Dodgers. The Yankees have definitely faltered and at this point don't really deserve a playoff spot the Dodgers have come out firing Mookie Betts which is amazing the Red Sox now are even shopping JD Martinez why didn't you do that in the first place Boston why wouldn't you keep a generational outfielder now the Dodgers have two of them and a righty lefty combo that's just made one of the I thought they were World Series favorite going into the series now they're in the season now they're the favorite and I don't think anybody really competes with them at this point. And obviously, we have these kind of fringe teams, I think. I mean, it's all really close. It's all short in season. But I think that, like, Rockies, Phillies, Cardinals, which, I mean, the Cardinals are 12 and 13. At least they're catching up in games. I still don't know how I feel about the seven-inning doubleheaders. Obviously, it's this year and this year only hopefully I like the uh, even the extra inning guy starts on second base is I mean obviously it's fair for both teams but I just hope it's not like a maintains a rule going forward so the really the cutoff in the NL it's Cardinals 12 and 13 
even the Giants, 17 and 19, Milwaukee, 15, 18, Cincinnati, 15 and 19, who I drank the Kool-Aid. I thought they were going to be a lot better than they are. Maybe in a full season, they'd be able to pick it back up, but might just be too much ground to make up. And then really where it cuts off is the Mets. 15 and 20, they get Todd Frazier, they get Miguel Castro. They're going for it, but they're going, their version of going for it is just trying to make a playoff spot or trying to get close to a playoff spot because it's funny right now they're fourth in their division and it's because the Nationals, who are a game back of them, have faltered without Anthony Rendon. And as great as I think Juan Soto is going to be, I don't think he's truly ready to carry the load and be the superstar because he had Rendon before. He had those pieces that could back him up if he wasn't playing well. Now he's the guy. And now we're, again, August, about to be September. This is really having the trade deadline now is fun. We have the month of September left to see where these races where these races go I think in the AL it's a little more set I'm not really believing in Detroit Baltimore Seattle so that really leaves Toronto Minnesota uh, Houston the Yankees White Sox Indians uh, Cleveland Oakland and Tampa Bay that's eight teams I don't really think as good as Detroit and Baltimore have been this year, I don't really see them coming back in a big way. So might be, that might be right playoff teams, and then the NL is pretty wide open. So this next month should be fun, especially this next month. We're going to just talk about the NFL. we got the MLB, and let's move on because we got still got playoff action in bubbles. Although we had a few days off, which, again, I feel like I just I want to reiterate it's completely justified. If they didn't play, it really, not that it wouldn't be a big deal, but just if they didn't feel like playing, it's really, it's not up to us to decide. But we still had hockey. I'd, I want to go back because the last time I posted was, or posted talking about these games was uh, Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday. So first game we got... Boston, Tampa. This has been, I mean, obviously there's been a lot more to the series since we, since I last talked about it, but Tampa Bay, not that they escaped with an overtime win, but I think if they went down 2 nothing, the series is a whole lot different, especially Tampa Bay comes off a of back-to-back and wins 7-1. I think these back-to-backs have been pretty brutal for the most part especially if you're down this team this other team already has momentum which is going to be the case for a lot of them uh but i just want to after that tampa bay boston overtime win we had vancouver tying up game two five two and tying up the series winning five two this canucks offense is potent it's dangerous especially for the next half decade for sure Patterson, Horvat if they keep Brock Besser and obviously you're going to surround them with veterans and cheaper veterans as you go 
Then going on to Wednesday, this is Flyers Islanders game two. Flyers score three in the first period. Chase Semyon Varlamov. And then the Islanders, who we haven't had we haven't seen them do this all playoffs, but they surge back. Anders Lee scores, Anthony Bavillier scores, Jean Gabriel Pajot scores. The Flyers score three in the first. The Islanders come back and score one in the second, two in the third, and then two minutes and forty one seconds into overtime. Philip Myers scores, and the Flyers really escaped with that one. Again, going down to nothing, that would have been a lot bigger than people realize, especially how this Islanders team has played moving forward. And then the next game that day, second of three games, Tampa Bay, again, comes out, dominates, Palat, two goals. No, not two goals. That was a different game. Uh, Palat, Yanni Gord, Sergachev, Kalorin, Point, Kalorin, Kucherov, just dominated dominating the scoring i can't you can't even blame yaroslav halak i think tampa bay's firepower just really showed up in this game and i think it showed up for the rest of the series last game that day colorado down to nothing and just such a back and forth game sagan scores and then zadorov burkovsky landis cog colorado goes up 3-1 and then Denis Gurionov scores, Blake Como scores, uh, and then Rantanen, Jamie Benn, Kadri, Pierre Edward Belmar finishes off with an empty netter. But this is hilarious because it's a series of two backups. I know Bishop unfit to play, Grubauer had that brutal fall. But Dallas, like. Obviously, when you when I talk about the rest of these games, it becomes pretty clear that Dallas is the better team in this series. But it's just because of consistency. Their consistent, their offensive consistency is a lot better because Colorado's so streaky. And sure, they're going to score six games, but they also might get shut down and score two. Uh, next up, third again Thursday, Friday, two days off. I think it's good. It, it was good for the teams. I think obviously they come together, and same with the NBA. They wanted to get their point across that they want change and that they're, we're not tolerating this anymore, which I think completely fair and good on them. But then we come back. Tampa Bay wins three one. They go up three one in the series. There we go. Plot plot two goals. Victor Hedman. Uh. All within the first and second period, Jake DeBrus gets one in the third. It's not enough. Tampa Bay has just controlled this series. And the same goes for these frustrating Islanders, which I said before, the Stanley Cup final we deserved this year. And clearly, I think right now, they're probably the two best teams playing is Dallas and, uh, as I say, Dallas, St. Louis, Dallas and the Islanders. Islanders win 3 1. Tyler Pitlick gets one of the first for the Flyers, and then Matt Martin, Leo Komarov, Anders Lee, all score for the Islanders. They win 3-1. Once they took that lead, even they had the one early in the third to really solidify it, but they're just such a strong defensive team that it's, it's a, not impossible, but it's pretty difficult to come back. 
and I mean the Islanders, yeah, you're up 2-1 at this point. They're kind of dominating. We'll get to their game four after final game three of that day, or the final game of that day. Vegas wins 3-0 over Vancouver. Alex Tuck, who scored in three straight games. Zach Whitecloud scores. Mark Stone scores. And just... Vegas is a playoff team. They're built... They're not full of superstars. If you if you went through a fantasy draft of Vancouver versus Vegas, I think you'd take Bo Horvat, Patterson, and Quinn Hughes. Maybe not one, two, three, but I think all probably within the top five. Just not completely based on the playoffs, but they're going to get this experience now. And going forward the next few years, Vancouver, being in the series, having to play this Vegas team, they're going to understand what it's like to win because of how Vegas, I don't want to say completely dominates, but just they're a mature enough team that they know what they're doing. And then last last night, yeah, last night, Colorado-Dallas. Dallas goes up 3-1, 5-4 win again. Dallas just consistent. First period, John Klingbert scores. Roddick Faxa scores, Jamie Benn scores. And the second period, we're just we're trading back and forth. Valerie Nichushkin, Kale McCarr score. Third period, it's uh, Nichushkin, Nemestikov scores at the very end of the game, which did matter. Rupe hints and Denis Gurionov, which Denis Gurionov's having an amazing playoffs. Has scored already scored eight goals in the second round. And again, just this backup battle. I think really matters for Colorado. I think them missing Grubauer is clearly way more important than Anton Anton Hudobin, who's I think at this point pretty pretty solidified as the best backup in the league. He's come in here and he's led Dallas one game away from the conference finals. I don't think a lot of backup goalies could do that, which sucks more about the back to backs. Cause then we had Flyers Islanders. Just a for the Flyers, they're just so frustrated by the Islanders. You can you can see it as they play. The Islanders are so smothering defensively, and they take those chances. They have Matthew Barzell, who's such a dynamic player, and they're just so good at odd man rushes and uh, counter attacking. Brock Nelson scores. Sean Couturier gets one back, and then Jean Gabriel Pajot, who is a playoff performer, no doubt. I think a lot of people forget about what he did with the Senators on their playoff runs. Scores again, Brock Nelson. And then Ivan Provorov scores one late for the Flyers, but again, just not enough. And Flyers are down 3-1. They really need to dig deep. This was a back-to-back. And, I mean, in this situation, the Islanders are going from Semyon Varlamov, who has played very well, to Thomas Grice, who is a 1B for sure. They have a great 1A, 1B situation when the Flyers have on a back-to-back, you have Carter Hart, and then you're going to Brian Elliott, who he's a fine backup, but again, a backup at that. I just think if you're really not even worried about your season by being on the line, but you know what's on the line. I mean, this happened with Vancouver. Vancouver still loses 5-3, and they're also down 3-1, but Vancouver still, they have their starter, and they stuck with him, even through back-to-back. I think Markstrom started every game. And the Flyers, if I'm the Flyers, you just you have your number one goalie. You think he's the next big thing, and 
it's not wrong to think that, but a playoff game, I know you don't play I know you don't play back-to-backs that often and that's why you have your backup goalie, but I just think for a playoff series maybe it's just me, I just wouldn't I just don't want my backup in a playoff game. I want my starter, especially if I trust him obviously with Grice or with Vegas and Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury, you have two goalies that you trust enough to play in a game. But Vancouver went with Markstrom. Lose 5-3. Patrick Patterson, Chandler Stevenson all score in the first. Trading goals back and forth. Second period. Bo Horvat, Tyler Toffoli. Again, Nothing from Vegas in the second and the third period. Nate Schmidt, Max Pacioretty, William Carlson. They put that game to bed. And they've really dominated Vancouver. And I I feel bad saying this, but the Vegas is... There's three pretty dominant teams right now in the playoffs. And I think I know I said Dallas Islanders is the Stanley Cup final we deserve. But I think Vegas is the best team playing right now. And it's not that crazy to say that because you can see them go from Robin Leiter to Marc-Andre Fleury, and it's not that big of a difference. So that's about, that's about it for the NHL tonight. We've got Boston-Tampa, which is just about to start as I'm recording, then late game, Dallas-Colorado. I think Tampa Bay ends this series, and if I'm being honest, I think Dallas ends this series tonight too. But again, it's Colorado's inconsistent offense that maybe could explode for another big game like they did a couple of times against Arizona and against Dallas but I think they're too inconsistent this year I think they need their starting goalie back next year for a real big push in a playoff series all right so that's what we got for NHL NBA again still still first round uh this first round has been, I mean, fascinating to say the least. We'll go back to Tuesday, which was the last day of games before postponements. Yep. Uh, first game, Denver beats Utah 117-107, which we'll talk about Jamal Murray a couple of times. But, again, Murray, 42 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists. It's his last three games in I mean, Utah was up 3-1. They could have ended the series, but Jamal Murray just didn't let it happen. And he's had a great... Jamal Murray versus Donovan Mitchell has been, at least in my opinion, the best part of this first round. I know I love Luka Doncic, but just as a duel. And you didn't know... I I don't think a lot of people knew Jamal Murray had this level to go to. Is it sustainable? Not really, but still still pretty impressive to see even if it's the first round uh second game that uh second game from that night dallas loses 111 154 to the clippers absolutely blown out i think the real story of this is playoff p pandemic p whatever you want to call paul george he still scored he came back and scored 35 points in this game if you look at the top performer it's you probably argue it's Kawhi Leonard 32.7 rebounds four assists but for Paul George to show up I think that's huge for the Clippers and I think they're playing themselves because if you look back they didn't really have that much time together this year 
everyone's kind of hurt. Everyone was in and out of the lineup. And now you see, especially playoff Kawhi is a different animal because he doesn't have to load management. And even playing every other day, I think, is... It's obviously not great, but I think for Kawhi Leonard, I don't think he really cares where he's playing. I think the bubble environment's perfect for him. And I mean, Luka, 22 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, which... Not that it's average, not that it's bad, but just the numbers we've seen him put up in the series. It's definitely, definitely his worst game of the series. And then obviously Wednesday, Thursday... Friday, we had no games. Saturday, games come back. Orlando-Milwaukee, the gentleman's sweep. I think Orlando winning that first game, like last year against Toronto, was just it was just an anomaly. Giannis, 28-17-3. Middleton, 21-10-7. I think the real bright spot for Orlando is they had really good scoring all around. And I mean, I know Vucevic, 22 points, 15 rebounds, 5 assists, but just overall, they just, they're such an just average team. I don't really think there's moves they can make to really solidify themselves in the East, especially next year that Brooklyn made the playoffs this year. And next year, they're going to have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So I think that's definitely an issue for the Magic. I, it wouldn't surprise me to see them in the playoffs, but... It also wouldn't surprise me to see them fall off and maybe start selling off pieces. Second game of that night, we had the Rockets go up 3-2 against Oklahoma City, 114-80. James Harden gets Russell Westbrook back. James Harden still 31-2-5. Not his greatest night, but I don't think this Houston team needs to rely on him that much, especially when Dennis Schroeder gets ejected, I know. He had a scuffle, but Shea Gilgis-Alexander scores four. Chris Paul scores 16, which they just – this is basically it. The Rockets outscored them in every, qu- uh, every quarter except the second. They lost that by – they lost that second quarter by seven. Third quarter, the Thunder score 18. The Rockets score 37. It's just simple enough to say. Game one and two – Houston dominates. Game three and four, the Thunder really showed up. Game five, the Thunder disappeared. The Rockets showed up. And it just, those two combined, and that score really shows you that that small ball can work. And Steven Adams still, 12 points, 14 rebounds. That's not enough when you're, not that he's a high-end center in the league, but still, still should be more against... Who's their center? Jeff Green, PJ Tucker, Damari Carroll. Like that's those aren't guys that should be stopping a center. Final game of the day. Uh Lakers win game five. Eliminate the Portland Trailblazers. I think we can all say that the Trailblazers were the probably the second best, second most fun team at least in the bubble behind Phoenix going eight and no and almost having a shot at the playoffs. Damian Lillard left the bubble for health reasons. I don't want to say health reasons. He was hurt. And the fact that the Blazers kept this close is kind of almost more impressive than the Lakers moving on. 
CJ McCollum, 36, 6, and 7. Carmelo shows up. LeBron James, obviously, 36, 10, and 10. That's a dominant performance. The Lakers still won by 9, and I mean, they're going to be facing the Thunder Rockets next next round, and I think that's going to be a lot more challenging, especially when you have a Game 5 where the team you're playing doesn't have their best player. And I think the Lakers, again, just like the Clippers, they kind of have to not even play themselves into shape, but they have to play themselves into what's our rotation. If this is game seven of a playoff series, what's our what's our lineup looking like? Just stuff like that that they kind of need to figure out. And I don't think they have that much time once they run into the second round. The Clippers or the Lakers are kind of kind of need to figure it out now. Finally, yesterday, uh, I don't like when the NBA, the, I mean, I know they have to do this, especially that the players want to move this along. We have round two start. Boston absolutely dominates the Raptors. Just not not even close. The Raptors just came out flat. I mean, Kyle Lowry said after the game, most of the guys are kind of prepared and ready to leave the bubble, and I think that showed. I think Boston showed up. They shot the lights out. I mean, Campbell Walker, 18-3-10. Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart both shoot, uh, both get 21 points. Marcus Smart shoots the lights out. Jalen Brown, 17. They just had a performance that kind of almost mirrors what the Raptors kind of do. They don't need one guy to take over. They just kind of win as a team. And I think that's definitely a concern for Toronto. I think Game 2 is really a statement for them of, are you just going to fold, especially after your first loss in the playoffs? Boston's beaten you twice in the bubble. You played your two worst games, lost your only two games. I think it's going to be fun going forward, but I think the Raptors, they need to play their game, and I think odds and statistics show that the Celtics are bound to come down to earth and the Raptors are bound to shoot better come game two. Next up, uh, Clippers... Take down the Mavericks, 111-97, eliminates the Mavericks. Mavericks again, no Kristaps Porzingis, which obviously makes all the difference in the world. Kawhi Leonard shows up, like usual, in an elimination game, 33 points, 14 rebounds, 7 assists. I mean, this to me wasn't as much, I kind of, I mean, most people expected the Clippers to win, but the way the Mavericks really gave them their best shot and really they made it close it wasn't that much of a blowout for the whole series and again the Mavericks lost their second best player and next year they're getting back Chris getting back Chris Stapps and Dwight Powell who I think a lot of people sleep on and again Luca, 38 9 and 9 for just a cap on a great first playoff run I think going forward I think a lot of people will want to go play with him and I don't blame them at all. He's a talented player that kind of runs an offense like a amazing soccer midfielder. He controls the pace. He runs all the plays. And it sucks to see the Mavericks out, but the Clippers are just the better team, especially if Kawhi and Pandemic P can show up. And finally, the final game, absolutely absurd. Denver 
more specifically Jamal Murray forces a game seven against the Jazz. I picked the Nuggets to win the series at the beginning. By game four, I was like, okay, Jamal Murray is doing Jamal Murray things in the playoffs again. He's trying to have these shootouts with Donovan Mitchell, and Mitchell's just kind of the better player. And then Jamal Murray, again, threw in a three-game, game four, five, and six, has these, has, I think it was the second second most combined points between those three games since Michael Jordan in 19, 1988 against those classic Boston Celtic teams, which I think is very impressive. Jamal Murray just wills this team to a win. 55, 50 points, five rebounds, six assists. Again, battles Donovan Mitchell, 44 points, six rebounds, five assists. Just down the stretch, Jamal Murray was just hitting every shot. And I think it's interesting, and I think it's been very smart by the Nuggets that they kind of, before they kind of ran everything through Nicole Jokic, now they're almost using him as a ploy to get Jamal Murray open shots. And I don't know defensively, like, what does Utah do? Donovan Mitchell isn't a great defender, and you have Gobert. There's kind of these mixed mixed pieces of defenders that are all okay, but they just can't contain Jamal Murray right now, who looks like he's doing a Steph Curry impression and is doing a great job of it. And then going into Game 7, I think... All the pressure is on Utah. They were up 3-1 in this series. They let these two Jamal Murray games, these two Jamal Murray wins, get to them. And I think, I don't know if you trap them, if you double-team them, there's not really much you can do like what teams are doing with Damian Lillard in Orlando. I think Utah can pull this out, but really, who's doubting Denver? Especially if you leave, if you realistically if you go to trap him you go to double team him you have to leave someone open who on that nuggets team are you leaving open you can't leave Jokic open he's gonna make a play whether it's a a smart shot a good pass kick out anything like that you can leave Michael Porter Jr. open he's gonna hit he'll hit open shots Paul Millsap even like Jeremy Grant Gary Harris that's just kind of they're definitely missing pieces I think someone like Tobias Harris, if you can, you're getting Paul Millsap off your books, if you can somehow swing a trade like that, I think that'd be great for Denver to get a piece like him who can stand in the corner and make shots, but also can make plays for you. I think it's going to be fun tonight. uh, Tonight we've got uh, second round again, Miami-Milwaukee. I think this is going to be an amazing series. Milwaukee hasn't looked great. They have the best player in the series, but then I think Miami's depth, Tyler Hero going to show up, Duncan Robinson, they kind of all have enough pieces that they can handle the Bucks. Bam Adebayo is a great Giannis, I don't want to say stopper, but just a neutralizer he can slow him down at least and that series is going to be great I think that goes six or seven games and then late game tonight Houston Oklahoma City again being honest I think Houston I think with Houston you can never really predict because 
Are they going to show up? Are they going to miss 27 straight three-pointers like they did against Golden State? They're such an unpredictable team that it's so much fun, especially playing Oklahoma City, who is just as young and just as unpredictable. That's about that about wraps it up. Uh, I and then after after today we've got Boston Toronto game two, Jazz Nuggets game seven. Two two great games. I hope at least. Uh, other than that, if you want to again check out Instagrams. Uh, my Twitter account, uh, blog, are all going to be in the description. Uh, if you want to follow the show, or I guess the network on Instagram, Dion Family Network again, everything you need to find us, where you need to find your podcast, will all be in the description of this episode. And other than that, we will see you next time.